You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. James, chapter 5 this evening. Still working on my voice, hopefully it'll be alright. James, chapter 5, trustworthy character. If I was to ask you tonight, how many of you know the name George McDonald? How many people know that name? There's a couple. I thought you two might. Anybody else know the name George McDonald? Yeah? Okay. So just a couple, just three. For me, the name didn't ring a bell. I'd never heard the name before. And I was fascinated this week as I come to find out who this man was. He was born in Scotland. Why Ian's very familiar with him. He was a husband, a father of 11, a pastor, an author, and a poet in the mid to late 19th century. And he had an epic beard. I mean, it was full. It was beautiful. And though we might not, most of us, don't know his name, we know many of his students. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Mere Christianity, The Chronicles of Narnia, and many other great books. I think C.S. Lewis is considered the most influential influential. Christian author of the 20th century, he regarded McDonald as his master. He, he recounted when he first picked up one of McDonald's books, he said it was like he crossed a great frontier. He was in a train station and he just stayed there for hours and hours on end reading this book. So just amazed by what McDonald was writing. Another man, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings considered McDonald a major influence on his life and his writings. G.K. Chesterton said McDonald's book, which was called The Princess and the Goblin, made a difference to his whole existence. Oswald Chambers wrote that the only reason McDonald's books were neglected by the public, as he said, by the majority of the public, was because of the shallowness of the modern reading of the public. I thought that was fascinating, that that back in the late 18th century, 19th century, we're talking about the shallowness of modern public reading. I can't imagine what Oswald Chambers would say about our society today. It would be sad. And so here's a man, and, and he knew Mark Twain. I think Mark Twain was once his enemy, and then he, he read him, and he started to like him, and so they became friends. He's just had an influence on so many people. But what's great about McDonald is that from all accounts, he was a wonderful husband, a wonderful father, a wonderful minister. And when he wrote, his goal in writing was to present truth, truth in ways by using stories. Um, he wrote some apologetics books, so he's trying to convince people of the truth, but he was very, he just loved the truth. But this is what he wrote to his father on December 6, 1878. He said, I always try, or at least I think I do, to be truthful. All the same, I tell a great many lies. That's some honesty for you. I try to be truthful. I think I do. But I still find myself lying so often. And 140 years later, we find ourselves living in a day where telling the truth is the exception to the norm. It's not even expected anymore. Lies are socially acceptable. Nobody ever believes that the fish was that big. Because we know 
And it's almost like if you want to convey that the fish was this big, you have to say that it was this big. Otherwise, everybody's going to assume if you say it was this big, it was actually this big. Right? It's a tough, tough time telling fish stories. Everybody knows that your life is not what appears to be on Facebook. Right? I, I mean, I know we, we put out our best, but people see through it. Because we know this is what we do. We lie. The truth is far less important than our agenda. And so every politician knows this. And every political activist knows this. The goal is, let's put out our agenda. And and we will fudge the facts. We'll twist the facts. Sometimes we'll even make up facts just to support our agenda. Why? Because the agenda is actually more important than the truth. I, I remember reading about a museum who had depicted the skeletons of different animals leading from a a chimpanzee to a human being. And it was revealed that actually the whole display was fraudulent, that that none of it was actually true, that that it was all just like this artist rendering. It was all made up. And the curator of the museum said, we know that it's false, but it makes the point. It's making a true point. That, That was his So it was okay to use this false display because it was showing what probably happened anyway, even though this display didn't resemble the facts. We live in a day of lies. Ken Hughes said this. He said, our situation, and he's talking about believers living in today's culture, is exasperated by the calculated seas of deception which flood back and forth over our culture through its media so that sometimes scarcely know what truth is. There's so many lies out there. Anybody ever trying to read the news lately? Do you have any idea what's actually true anymore? Like, it almost seems pointless to do it because you, you read it and you're like, I know this person has an agenda. I don't know if what they're saying is true. And so he says, we, we sometimes scarcely know what the truth is because there's so many lies out there. Many Christians today traffic in untruth and some, tragically, don't even know it. We lie to promote our truth We lie to cover up our errors. We lie to avoid consequences. We lie because we need an excuse why we didn't do our homework, we didn't get to work on time, or we didn't finish that assignment, or that task, or whatever it is. And we can't say, well, I watched Netflix for five hours. Because that's not okay. So we come up with some kind of excuse, which is really a lie. One psychologist said that we lie most often to protect others from seeing who we truly are. I think that's true. I think so often our lies surround who we are, right? We don't want people to see our flaws. We want people to see us better than we are. And so we just, we just shift the truth over a little bit so that people don't see who we are. James' teaching here tonight is a radical call to radical truthfulness. He is a pastor. He is speaking to believers who are scattered over the Roman Empire. He has just handled the subject of believers responding to those who would harm them. How do you respond when people seek your harm? When people put you through suffering? How do you respond to people like that? He's just tackled that. Seems like a big deal. Seems like something pretty important to talk about. But listen to what he says in James chapter 5, verse 12. He's coming to the end of his letter now. He's got a few final things he wants to say. James 5, verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea 
and your nay be nay. Translated, that is, let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into condemnation. James says, above all things. That is a drastic statement. And when you make a statement like that, like I'm coming to the end of the letter, and above all things, I want you to hear this next statement, you expect something huge, don't you? And yet what we get here seems fairly straightforward. Above all, tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, it almost seems obvious and simple and and not, not one of those like, this is the big thing I've been saving for you. Above all things, hear this. But that's what he says. Swear not. He's not talking about swearing like foul language. He's talking about speak truth. Right? Don't lie. Don't make stuff up. He says, don't make these O's. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by anything else. Instead, do this. You say yes, mean yes. When you say no, mean no. And if you do, you will not be condemned. And the word there, condemned, is hypocrisis. It is the, where we get our word hypocrisy. And so the idea is, don't do these things, because otherwise, you'll be a hypocrite. You'll be condemned as a hypocrite. That's, that's who you are. If you're, if you're a person who is saying yes and meaning no, or saying no and meaning yes, or saying this and meaning something a, a little bit different, that's what hypocrisy is. Now, here is where it gets interesting. The Old Testament encourages making oaths. So why is it here that James says, above all things, don't make an oath. Don't swear. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by anything else. Just mean yes when you say yes, mean no when you say no. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. The idea of swear there is make an oath. You're being commanded to make an oath by the name of God. In Leviticus 19.12, we're told, you shall not swear by by name falsely. In other words, when you swear, take it seriously, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Um, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 says, if a man vows a vow unto the Lord, or swears an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So he's saying when it happens, keep it. It's expected that it's going to happen. It's commanded to happen. Making oaths was a normal way of life. It was considered a part of a spiritually vibrant life by Jeremiah in Jeremiah twelve sixteen. And so what's the deal? Why is it that James is saying don't do things? Above all, don't do these things. When it seems like the Old Testament says, go for it. Is anybody confused? I think this is, we're supposed to be asking these questions. We're supposed to know the Old Testament and go like, okay, why is he saying this? Well, by the time of the New Testament, the practice of swearing oaths had come under amazing abuse. And I don't use the word amazing lightly. It's crazy the kind of abuse that they were giving this, this idea of swearing oaths. The rabbis taught that it was binding only if you mention God's name or something that they consider directed toward God. So you could make an oath, but it was only binding on you if you somehow inferred the name of God. One rabbi taught that if you swear um, on Jerusalem, 
it was not binding unless you were facing Jerusalem when you did it. And then it was binding. Now, I, I'm like the Mishnah, the Jewish teachings of the Mishnah, devotes a whole paragraph to help people understand when they're allowed to lie and get away with it and when they have to, to, to be telling the truth. Right? So it requires like this long explanation. <clears throat> Ken Hughes again said this. He said, there was an undying epidemic of frivolous swearing. O's were continually mingled with everyday speech. Okay? So you got to imagine, this is a group of people. They're, they're making O's all the time. They're, making, they're swearing all the time by all these different things. It's an everyday thing. He said, by your life, by my beard, may I never see the comfort of Israel if. All these different ways of making promises. He said, there was a trivialization of everyday language and a devaluation of integrity. Evasive swearing became a fine art. The height of accomplishment was, while lying to convince another you were telling the truth, by bringing some person or eminent object into reference. So making O's became a game. It was a legal game, right? I promise, but my fingers were crossed, so it's not binding. And that was the deal. They, that's how the rabbis were teaching the people. That's how all of the Jews, many of the Jews at least, were acting. And so now Jesus comes on the scene. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does just amazing things. It is one of the greatest studies you can ever do, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but he begins with, blessed are the this person. And he was always saying, blessed are the person that other people would consider not blessed. And then explaining why in the kingdom of God they were blessed. So he's already showing that he's, he's flipping their thinking upside down. Right? And then he goes on. And the entire Sermon on the Mount is a presentation of God's kingdom on earth. So when we study the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just to teach us how to live, although we do, do learn how a Christian should live. It is actually to teach us what God's kingdom looks like and what God's kingdom will one day look like here on earth. And when he's doing it, he is simultaneously fixing and untwisting all of the Jewish laws that, that had been twisted from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament had all of these things written, and the Jews had just figured out a way to twist so much that, that the new laws or rules that they had to abide by didn't even resemble the point of the original. And so what he does in Matthew chapter 5 is he has six statements of verse 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, and 43, <clears throat> where he says, you have heard that it has been said in old time. You've heard it's been said, but I say unto you. And when we read that, we might think, well, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this was the Old Testament law, but this is my law, right? And I'm sure that a lot of people have read that in the past and thought, well, what Jesus is doing is he's just making like a change to the law. But that's not what he was doing at all. He's saying, you have heard that it's been said, and you understand that completely wrong. The, the idea that you have behind this oath system is not nothing like what God originally intended. I say unto you, let me show you what it's supposed to actually look like, this idea of taking oaths or in all of these areas. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, he says, Again, you have heard it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thy nose. Okay, so he's referring to the law of Deuteronomy um, 20, verse 10, that says, Swear to your God. And you're supposed to. And he said, you've, you've heard that. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, 
for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these comes of evil. Saying is, God gave you the system in the Old Testament of swearing oaths because he wanted to teach you to tell the truth. He wanted you to be a people who could make an oath and keep it. And you've, you've completely twisted the entire system where I need to go back to, this is the goal, this is the idea. Be a people who when you say yes, you mean yes. And when you say no, you mean no. He's bringing them back to that. He's saying, stop this foolish lying. Stop this hypocrisy. This is nothing like what God had commanded. He addresses this subject again in Matthew 23. And there he says, Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. You fools and blind. And he goes on and on. He, he lists about three or four more examples of them saying, Well, I'm swearing... I'm swearing by the temple, but not by the gold. If I swear by the gold, then I'm, in, then I'm, I'm indebted to it. He, and he goes on, he says, like, how does that make any sense at all? The reason that the gold is sanctified is because it's in the temple. But you say you can swear by the temple, but not by the gold that's sanctified by the temple. None of it makes any sense. Sin doesn't make any sense. And what you do is you take people who desire to be righteous, self-righteous, but also have their flesh. And they're always going to find a way to twist the law so that they can still live in their flesh by technically keeping the rules. That's why the problem has to, that's why you always got to go to the heart. Okay? You give any person a set of rules to live by, and if they don't have their heart in it, then the life that you see lived before you is nothing like what you hoped it would be. You teach somebody that they need to be, their heart needs to be transformed by grace and that they need to be living out their faith, and you will slowly see them make changes. And that's, that's how this is supposed to work. So clearly, for these Jews, it was just this man-made religion. And Jesus is going, stop it. That's not what it's about. And so James in 5.12 quotes his older brother, almost verbatim, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. And so the application for us tonight seems fairly easy. Don't lie. Don't lie. Okay, we'll start there. The words that you speak should always be, to the best of your ability, true words. Don't make excuses when you didn't do the work. Be honest. Didn't do my homework because I'm lazy. I forgot. I didn't show up to work on time because I have trouble waking up in the morning and I really need to work on that. Don't say things that aren't true. Don't say things that aren't entirely true because you want someone to think of you a certain way. Don't fudge the truth. Don't stretch the truth. Don't make the truth always you know, look better to, on your side. Don't present to the world an airbrushed version of who you are. Okay? And we do this all the time. We do it in person. We do it on Facebook, we do it on Twitter, we do it on all the other social media platforms. Don't lie about your sin because you're afraid of the consequences. This is, this is really where it starts with kids, right? They didn't do it. You know they did do it. They got chocolate all over their face. It's amazing how quickly kids learn to lie. 
talking to a, a friend at youth conference this past week, and he was telling me about his five-year-old, and, and like his five-year-old has mastered the art of lying. And it's amazing. And, and he said, we didn't teach him that. No, you didn't. You don't have to teach people that. They, they know how to lie. Right? It comes out of us. Don't lie, and don't be careless with your words. And I think this is where, and honestly, when I, when I prayed, when I've been praying about this message, I've been thinking, you know what? This is one of those things that you hear, don't lie, and, and you say, well, I already know that. Right? I, I, I know I'm not supposed to lie. And so you walk out of the church, and you don't really think about this message again. I understand that probably will happen for most of you. But I think sometimes where we got to be careful is that we're careless. We're not intentionally lying, but we're still lying. We're still, we're still doing these little things that we've just been trained to do, that we always do we don't think is a big deal. It is a big deal. You don't need oaths to tell the truth. You know, when, when, you, when you make a statement like that, I swear to God that this is true. Do you know what you're doing? You're saying, I want to distinguish this next sentence from all the lies that I usually tell. Right? Because now I'm telling the truth, and you know it, because I said I swear to God, and most of the time, I'm not swearing to God. That's, that's not a good deal. You should be telling the truth all the time. Jesus and James call for radical truthfulness that supersedes the law. It's not about just keeping that this strict, well, I, this oath wasn't on this thing. No, it's be truthful. So the question arises, should we ever take an oath? Does anybody know why in America you do, you do not have to put your hand on a Bible and say, I'm going to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, uh, um, so help me God? Do you know why you don't have to do it? These verses. Because George Fox was put on the stand and he said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And he said, why would you make me swear on a Bible that tells me not to swear on a Bible? It didn't make sense to him. Now, I'm, I, I'm not saying, I, I don't know if he was right. I actually think that when we look, um, Jesus at one point was asked to swear under an oath that he was the Christ and he said he is the Christ. So he answered. And um, Paul, on a couple of occasions in Romans and 2 Corinthians, said that God would bear truth to his witness that some, such and such was true. So it seemed like he was making oath that way. I, I don't think that the point is that oaths are all evil. I think the point is, you don't need to make oaths. Just be honest people. If you do this, you just stop telling lies and start telling truth, you will stand out in this world. So point one, don't tell lies. Point two, don't be sneaky. I think we get this in this passage too. Don't be sneaky. Now we've moved from the obvious action to the heart of the problem. The Jews were trying to find ways to technically keep the law while still lying. Because there are benefits to lying. There really are. If we can face that like straight on and say, sometimes you lie and you do get away with it. Sometimes you lie and you get what you want. Sometimes you lie and you don't face the consequences, at least not this side of heaven or, or, or not immediately. It's true. And so what we do is sometimes we, we look at the end result and we say, is there a chance I'm going to get caught? Is this lie going to hurt anybody? Is this lie pragmatic? And if the answer is, um, yes, it's pragmatic, it's, it's going to lead to a good end, it's not going to hurt anybody, and I'm probably not going to get caught, then maybe that's an instance where it's probably not a big deal if I tell a lie. That's being sneaky. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mean what you say. No hidden motives, no agendas, no manipulation. Hey, it goes beyond just not telling a lie. Don't, 
Don't be speaking words that are intended to manipulate or to push your agenda in a negative, evil way. Be men and women of character. Don't tell lies. Don't be sneaky. And number three, remember who you're representing. If we could do that, I I think it would really help us in those other two areas. So often we justify our behavior on the basis that we don't believe that we'll be found out. Do you know if, if the law of God was given as a set of arbitrary rules that were designed to keep humanity in line, I could see why it would be okay to sometimes lie. If it was just this arbitrary, like, you know what? This rule here, and I do this one here, and I'll kind of create the box, and humanity will stay in line. But that's not what the law of God is. Okay, We we don't have the option to take a pragmatic approach to ethics. It's not about, like, well, is this going to work better than this, or is this going to... We've been given a law that flows from the holiness of God's character. And as believers, we are commanded to be holy as God is holy. And that means when we see God's holiness in in, in his law, and so we understand this is what he's talking about. If we want to be holy, it's not holy to lie. God never lies. So if we want to live out God's character, we can't lie. If we start saying, well, in this case it's okay, in this case it's not okay because this is the end, we're misunderstanding the whole idea of the law. It's not just to keep humanity in line. It's to show who God is. You are representing God. And so if you tell a truth when it's very clear that a lie would have served you or someone else better, do you know what you've just done? You've just shown everyone that obeying God is more important than the result. And that's a big deal. I mean, that, that's actually when it's different than the world. That's when we say that what God says is more important than what I think or how I feel or, or what, how I've got this situation figured out. I'm going to put, put God's word first. It's called deontological ethics. Okay? Christians should be practicing ethics because we've been given a moral code. This is how we should live. We don't have to be super smart. We don't have to figure the whole thing out. We just got to go, this is how God wants me to live. I'm, I'm going to obey that. I'm going to do what he's told me to do. You know the first episode of church discipline was a case of lying? Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's not even like a full-out lie. It's like a half-truth. Do you what God did? Killed them. Killed them. I mean, that's the first case of church discipline was Ananias and Sapphira, who said they sold the property for this much money, and so they were given the whole amount to the church. And in fact, they'd sold the property for a little bit more money, and they were only given about half of it to the church. That doesn't even seem like a big deal. That seems like they're still being generous. They were lying. Why? Because they wanted other people to think well of them. Why do we lie often? We want other people to think well of, the, of us. And God said, uh, no, that can't take place in my church. My church is pure. It's supposed to be representing me. And so in order to keep it pure, they're going to come to heaven now. We are to be ambassadors of Christ, representatives of Christ here on earth. And lies and untruths and half-truths and deception, it's the exact opposite of what Christ came to, to be and to do. It stains our testimony. When somebody catches you in a lie one time, it's unlikely they're going to look at you the same way. Mark Cruikshank, he deals with people a lot who sometimes have motivation to lie. And I would imagine that sometimes they do lie. And I would bet he goes into most situations assuming that people lie, And when he catches them lying, assuming that everything else they're saying is a lie, right? 
because, because that's humanity. And if we are the exact same way as the world in this area, our testimony is completely stained. Why would they believe anything we say? If we're the exact same way within the church, we're going to tear apart our church. Christ said he is the truth. That through him, the truth, we are set free. So we must be people of the truth. His word is holy, it is true, it is perfect. We must represent him and his word well. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, but we should be striving for that kind of testimony. People should see us as people of integrity. When we say something, we mean it. And and we keep our word. You know, it's easy to preach against the government and against the media, against large companies for their advertising, the constant flow of dishonesty um, that we see all the time. It's easy, because it's easy to point out there. But if the goal of the church is to be living under the rule of God, the kingdom of God here on earth, then we must heed the words of Jesus and the words of James. We must make sure that we're not partaking in the deceptiveness of the culture, but that we're different. I mean, the deceptiveness of the culture, the fact that we've grown up with this all around us all the time, it's going to make it hard. It's going to make it natural to lie. But the great thing about the fact that everybody else is lying, when you start telling the truth, it stands out. You're light. It's obvious. It's different. This is one of the ways that being different is a good thing. Radical honesty, radical transparency, not pretending to be perfect. Do you know, if if you would start doing this, if you start being honest about who you are and and your struggles and and what you're going through, but the the grace of God is getting you through that, you would reach more people. You would reach more people as a flawed mother who relies on God's grace and God's strength every day. You would reach more mothers if you were honest about it. Guys, you would reach more guys if you were honest about your struggles, your temptations. It doesn't help anybody when you act like you're perfect. Doing what we say we are going to do. Being men and women who have character, who have integrity. This is the basic of what it means to be a new creature. That have been saved and redeemed, practice love and good works. Now the thing about all of this is we recognize that again, anytime we attempt to do any of these things on our own power, we will fail. But the power of the Holy Spirit is taking the word of God and transforming us so that every single day we start to do more and more of what God has called us to do. Every single day, his power enables us to be more obedient. I think we could take this area, we could examine our hearts, say, God, help me to be more trustworthy. Help me to be more honest. Help me to be a person of integrity. I need your spirit. I need your power to help me through this. I believe he would help you. I believe that we, we can change and be better in this area. And so I thank God that he's given us his word that's so clear. Pray that tonight we would heed it.